the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, it's um, a great day to be together. We've got some really interesting interviews coming up today. We've got Daniel Balls. Daniel Bowles. Sorry, let me get it right. B-O-L-Z. He's got this incredible idea for a new Statue of Liberty on the West Coast I'll let him explain it. I'm not quite sure I see it, but he's got a book about it, and we'll see. He's a very interesting man, business guy, uh, and loves America, loves liberty, loves freedom. Uh, and then we'll talk with uh, Dr. Edward Bartlett. Now, he founded an organization called SAVE about 10 or 15 years ago, and it was focused on how on college campuses they use Title IX to target people. He himself was a professor, and they target people, and the system does not allow Title IX uh, any opposition uh to be uh, well let me say it. let me say this carefully the use of title 9 for title 9 complaints on college campuses was done by uh, dominated by the idea that always believe the woman Generally, it was almost always women that were making a complaint of her complaint of harassment or something against a professor or another student. And it, therefore, the system became very, very stacked against the person who was accused. So much so that Dr. Bartlett, when he started Save This Organization, he basically was saying, look, we're just protecting due process. You you have a right to confront your accuser. You have a right to have a tribunal, you know, the, the, the court you're being processed in where there's a hearing to be uh, not stacked against you, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's very, very interesting to uh, to see this and to uh, to see now how he and his organization are spending a bunch of their time talking about um the uh, realities of the the uh, gender movement and how basically what happened with Title IX is spreading into all sorts of aspects of, of uh, American life. So we'll talk with him. Uh, but the uh, biggest thing that I want to tell you that's interesting is hear, hearing from him will be this. Today's wink. What you need to know today is I want to talk to you about one aspect of lawfare one aspect of lawfare, and I want to use the Fannie Willis case. She's the Fulton County District Attorney. She's elected to her job. I am told it's reported that she is supported by Soros, the Soros groups that want these leftists in office. And she's been in office and she made ran for office saying she would target certain uh, 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 aspects of her job. Uh, um, excuse me. She would focus them on certain things, including 
um, she would be a, a, against Trump. She's not as bad as the attorney general of um, New York who ran like basically campaigning, saying, I'm going to get Trump. But this woman, you know, so here she is. Now, here's the problem in America. Our system says that you, the prosecutor, who have the ability to take away me from me, my freedom, my property, and in, in a particular way, you have to have a very high standard. You have to have a says due process says that you should have a a tribunal, a a court that is impartial, that you should have. Uh, prosecutors who are shooting straight that don't have conflicts of interest. And so let me pause and say this. When I say that a, a, a tribunal that's impartial, that is not biased against the um, the uh, defendant, that includes the judge, of course. That includes the jury, of course. But it, it also includes the prosecutor. That, yes, the prosecutor can have a position. In other words, can have a, a view on a on a decision. In fact, they have to. If they decide to charge you, they're going to they, they believe that they can prove it. They can believe that they can prove it. But they also believe that the um, that the reality is that they're going to be above board. They're going to have a certain objectivity. It's a kind of a calling. It's a kind of a calling, a very specific one. So what we have in the case of Fannie Willis is someone who has shown that she is antagonistic to President Trump. Okay, that's a political position, could be tolerable. She's shown that she has not, she's played fast and loose with the charging, who she charged, how she charged them. She's played fast and loose with the hiring of this prosecutor, her boyfriend, it appears she's not told the truth about things in terms of her relationship with him. She spent more money than is usual in a case like this, paying her paramour, her boyfriend. She also spent time and he spent time in Washington, D.C. at the White House and maybe at the maybe at the vice president's office. The, the reports are somewhat conflicting, but it certainly is true that she has been sort of knee deep in in again, not just in politics, but in the appearance the appearance of irregular conduct, which gets to this point. When you're a defendant in a case where you could lose your liberty, you're not only entitled to fairness and good treatment, you're entitled to the appearance. The appearance has to matter. And and what? why? Because you're going to go before a jury in this case. And the jury, you know, has to have you. You cannot be mistreated. You cannot show conflict of interest. You can't have conflict of interest anyway. So that's what's going on. Fannie Willis is the the now poster child for the mistreatment of defendants by Soros prosecutors. And what I want to say is there is something about the Soros prosecutors that they seem to be doing this. Not only are they radically left and targeting people in ways that are ethically perhaps legally problematic, but they're doing it in such a way that they're making the system look terrible. They're making our system of government, of governing, look horrendous. They are undermining what we, the people, expect a prosecutor to do. That's what's happening before our eyes. Now, there was a hearing, and Donald Trump was at the hearing, actually, with Fannie Willis, and I don't know yet many of the details. We'll see what we find out. But we need more we need more accountability of these Soros prosecutors. And if the accountability cannot come through the legal system, if it's not being done by the judges who should be throwing this stuff out, 
The judges should be saying, look, I know you don't like it. That's actually there's a series of checks and balances that represent, again, due process. You have the criminal code. That's true. You have a grand jury. That's true. You have a judge. You have a prosecutor with discretion. All along those ways, there are checks and balances. And and sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes the the uh, the prosecutor says, I'm not taking it to a grand jury. I don't want to do it. Sometimes the jury rejects it. Sometimes the judge turns around and says, hey, Fannie Willis, you're really out of line. You And therefore, we're not going to allow you to charge this. Or we're not going to allow you to charge this because the charges don't work. Or in this case, you're conflicted out. You have massive conflicts of interest that show that you can't do this well and appropriately. Whatever the reasons that she did what she d- did, I don't know. I can't read her mind. Her conduct brings into question the entire system. I, I do it over and over. I say it over and over again. The crown jewel of America is our legal system, our, our constitution, the rule of law, and the values that hold our legal system together. And when you have this kind of conduct from a Soros prosecutor, it, it's it, from a prosecutor in general, it's devastating. And what I want to say here is I believe there needs to be a significant public outcry that they uh, there needs to be a significant uh, public attention. Uh, There should be public attention to the fact that these Soros prosecutors are so seriously ethically challenged. And criminally, in some cases, in St. Louis, where I'm from, the prosecutor resigned because she had. And actually, after she resigned, uh, uh, it came out that she had I don't think it was her boyfriend, but she had hired all kinds of people to be expert witnesses and to be assistant uh, uh, investigators that weren't shouldn't have been. They got paid a lot of money. Who knows? I don't know if we knew it or know anything at this point. By the way, Fannie Willis, the Fulton County prosecutor in Georgia, uh, she's in a box because what usually happens at this point when you have so much negative publicity is you just resign. But she can't resign. Because, I mean, she could, but she's not resigning because she knows she's got this utterly controversial case that she has to take. And she can't let somebody take it for her. So she's actually trapped in a position where she's probably made her uh, her future much more difficult. Criminally, perhaps she could be charged. Looks like she might have. If the reports are accurate, she might have committed perjury by lying about what uh, when the relationship started. Now, she'll probably say she was just confused. But still, whatever it is, whatever the reason, it's not good for her. Uh, But usually you just get to this point. But we we need to the scrutiny needs to go up on all the Soros funded prosecutors. It should be a red flag. At this point, there's enough four, five, six, seven, eight of these prosecutors where where we've seen their conduct so problematic. We just have to say, if you're a Soros supported candidate, we have to dig into what you're doing. And, and because we know from experience, not because we're anything against you personally, but because from experience, we know that that's who is being supported and maybe recruited. Certainly looks like it's who you're ending up with in places where Soros supports him. So Fannie Willis is probably doing us a favor by uh, destroying her case and then damaging her career prospects. Uh, but it's certainly ugly, ugly and bad for the crown jewels of this country. Uh, you know, our rule of the Constitution, rule of law and our founding values. So that's what you need to know. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I, I can't even tell you. I won't even bother telling you the the, uh, the the hours in the making for this great conversation that we're going to have right now about a new book, uh, America's Freedom Megaphone, The Case for Building the Statue of Enduring Freedom. Uh, it's out about three or four months. Uh, the author is Daniel Bowles, and uh, he is himself comes at this as a, uh, a army veteran, but also a business guy and uh, lots of business and lots of different startups and lots of writing. I tell my kids all the time, you got to be writers to be successful, uh, has built a consulting company, has uh, done lots of different things. And so and now he's founded the Freedom Alliance LLC. Go to freedomalliancellc.com uh, and a lot going on. Daniel, congratulations on the book. Thank you for making all the effort to get connected. And uh, good to have you on. Well, Ed, and thank you. I appreciate the time to uh, spend with you. And I hope that your listeners uh, learn something from our conversation today. So, so, yes, Daniel, what's what's behind this book? Because a lot of the other stuff you're doing, uh, business guys don't necessarily stop to write a book. What's behind this book? What got you to this point and what's in the book and what are you trying to do? In my circles, I'm sometimes referred to as a common sense patriot. I mean, that's not a bad moniker. No, it's pretty where good. I, I sit. like it. I like it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. And uh, as such, uh, my career began in the classroom. I was a history and civics teacher in high school, secondary ed. And so, you know, it started there and uh, has morphed and continued to grow and grow and grow. Uh, also, even before my teaching time, answering your question, where did this all come from? When I was in the military in Germany, the uh, Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge issued an invitation to write an essay um, about a certain topic. So there I was, and I did it. I wrote it, submitted it, and I, I must have won something or at least acknowledged because I got a letter from then President Ford, and it's on our website. You can read my uh, my uh, essay, and you can read uh, what President Ford said to me on the way back. So that was, you know, that was in my 20s, okay? And that probably, I don't know, uh, lit a little bit of a flame inside me. Is uh, Daniel L. Bowles is our guest again. His book is America's Freedom Megaphone, and uh, it is available anywhere you buy books. What What is the case? What is the, what is the statue of enduring freedom? And and so before you get to the case, what does that mean? Yes, uh, thanks. The uh, the title. I lend the uh, title, and I mention this in my book, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, in his last book, uh, what's it called, American uh, United States of Socialism. Right. And on the last page in that book, Dinesh uh, simply uh, gave all of us a charge or a call to pick up our own individual megaphones and make some noise. And so from that, that's how the idea for the title of mm. my book, America's Freedom Megaphone, uh, that's how it came to be. Right. And as the subtitle says, I make is doing as best as I could, uh, making a case uh, for building a new statue, uh, a companion monument, if you will, to the Statue of Liberty. She sits on the East Coast, and we're proposing that this companion statue, the Statue of Enduring Freedom, be erected on the West Coast. And so you have, at that time, you'll have two our two founding principles, liberty the rule of law highlighted by Lady Liberty on the East Coast, our second principle, individual freedom, you know, as uh, as symbolized by the Statue of Enduring Freedom and his nickname is Brother Freedom. It's, uh, you know, Lady Liberty's kid, kid brother. Right. So we have on, on the East Coast and the West Coast, two of our founding principles, freedom and liberty. Um, and there it is. Uh, Daniel Bowles, our guest. Uh, so what's that? Now, now you got now. Now I'm, I'm pausing. I should, I should I want to talk more about some of the issues of the day, but I do want to ask you about the what physically? How does it look? 
Um, physically, uh, go again to our website. You've mentioned it. I'll mention it again, freedomalliancellc.com. When you go to our website, uh, you'll be able to look at the monument. We have a clay maquette uh, built by our sculptors there in Chicago in their studio there. You can see them working on the uh, the design, and all the photos are there on the website of the design, what it will look like, and you can watch them uh, as they're working on it. So um, design-wise, uh, it will be the same classic realism design that the Lady Liberty has. Mm-hmm. It will be the same height. It will stand 305 feet above ground level, the same ratio that Lady Liberty is, which is half and half, uh, 150 feet of sculpture and 150 feet of visitor center and or pedestal. So he'll be the same height as uh, she is. Does, the, does, the, the, uh, does, does anybody want it yet? Has anybody like seen this and said like L.A., would they take it or San Diego? Or is there some place that says we'd like we have a, an obvious? I mean, historically, of course, like Portland was a big city, but I doubt I mean, it was a key city. But I doubt they're going to take it. Seattle probably San Fran doesn't want it. I mean, what anybody saying they want it yet? Maybe San Diego is the best bet. Well, let me uh, let me get back to that location. Absolutely. But let me back up a little bit in answering your question. Okay. Where are we at? What is this all about? The answer, where where are we? Um, this project has been underway since 2017. So what is that now? Six, seven, that's seven years. Right. But only in the last few months have we begun to, quote unquote, go public. Our mm-hmm. website, um, we've had no SEO work on the website uh, up until this next uh, coming months. So we ha- we're just in the process now of introducing the concept and the proposal to build this historic monument. That is where we are at today. And so your listeners are, you know, getting an earful of history in the making. And there it is. Now, regarding location, and and again, Ed, regarding location, this again is uh, identified in detail on our website. But in a nutshell, um, because these are going to be two companion monuments, we looked at the latitude positioning of Lady Liberty, and she's at approximately 40 degrees north latitude. So when you swing that over to the West Coast, Mm -hmm. the same latitude, roughly, you end up in Northern California, Mm -hmm. and there are two uh, communities there that uh, are our prime choice. And they're small communities, not, uh, you know, big cities, but we want to keep that parallel. Again, that symbolism next to Lady Liberty. So there are two cities in Northern Cal, and uh, that's where we will be making our presentation. We haven't done that yet, but we'll be making our presentation to those two communities. Uh, Daniel Bowles is our guest, and his book is America's Freedom Megaphone, uh, The Case for Building a Statue of Enduring Freedom, out a few months, and you can check it out online. But looking at this, you know, I go through some of the your descriptions and the arguments America's founding principles, our our founding values, Judeo-Christian fabric of our society. How how, does it? I I bet you're going to say you think it'll be a unifying vision. Because what I want to ask is, feels like some chunk, thirty percent of the country, doesn't want to celebrate its past, and I think a similar amount or more wants to. But it is divided. It feels divided like it's never been before. And on that topic yet of division, that's one of my chapters. I think it's chapter eight. I talk about where did this idea that we're now living with, this ideal of division, where did it come from? Did it just drop out of the sky one day? Or as we indicate in our book, we show historically that it was uh, by plan. It's been uh, been orchestrated on the United States since the, since the 60s. And primarily they used as their initial segue into our society, the education system. And I get into 
that. And let me read this. Uh, this will answer the question as well by someone who read the book. And he said this, uh, inspire, talking about the purpose and design of the monument, inspire freedom by inspiring our children through educational outreach. It is a propagandized educational system that got us into the mess that we are now in. Inspiring our children forward to a love of freedom and a love of God is the solution. And that is the message of the monument. You have to understand, your listeners will want to understand, and they'll see it on our website. This uh, Statue of Enduring Freedom is a future-focused monument, meaning the focus and the mission of this monument is our educational outreach program. Mm -hmm. We will be offering lesson plans and highlighting other companies and organizations around the country who are doing that just now, basically Mm -hmm. teaching and offering historically correct patriotic lessons about our founding fathers and how our country was formed. And in that process, again, using original uh, articles, uh, Mm -hmm. we will also identify how we got into the situation that we're in today, because we believe, as we mentioned on our website, that America stands at a crossroads. There are two paths in front of us. Some are already walking down the one path, which leads to soft tyranny and socialism. And the other path is maintaining our, you know, our route on individual Mm -hmm freedom. And uh, that will be the mission that is the mission of the Statue of Enduring Freedom, to reintroduce critical thinking to our current youth and future generations. And uh, this is basically an answer, uh, as we mentioned in our book, an answer to Ronald Reagan's charge. Yeah. And we all know that wonderful quote, which happens to be on our on our homepage <laughs> of our website. Right, right. Daniel Bowles, thank you. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. I'm up against a break. I got to make sure I stay within my constraints. So fascinating topic and fascinating that you're out front on this. Daniel, Bowles, his book again, available anywhere you buy a book, America's Freedom Megaphone, Daniel L. Bowles, B-O-L-Z. And you can, as he mentioned, uh, check out the website for his work. And I will make sure to put that link up uh, also on there. It's freedomalliancellc.com. Good timing, I think, with the sesquicentennial, 250 years of the country to say, hey, what can we do to mark this? So uh, check it out. We'll take a break right now. Come right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very interesting story uh, to talk about today. Uh, and we'll talk with the man uh, who's perfect to talk about it, and that is Edward Bartlett. And he is the founder of SAVE. Uh, he himself has been uh, a faculty member, multiple universities, worked in the federal government. Uh, SAVE's mission is to make sure that every student and faculty member are given the protection, fairness, due process, when, especially when it comes to the context of uh, 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 sexual harassment claims, sexual assault claims, uh, exclaims Title IX is the law that's been applied. But it also is uh, the world's gotten so crazy so rapidly. I think when Edward Bartlett was founding this, there was obvious madness on campuses a lot of times. Now it's madness at every level, it seems like. Uh, uh, and, and the story that we'll talk about in a moment is a high school level. So first of all, welcome, sir. How are you? 
I'm doing wonderful. And yourself? I'm doing fine, thank you. And actually, answer me that question. Um, how dramatically, since uh, Save started, how dramatically has the, the sort of field of engagement changed? And by that, I mean, on one level, it's disheartening. It's kind of everywhere. On another level, what you were talking about, and I think describing, hey, look, Title IX and other claims on campuses are really destructive. You ought to shine a light on it. Well, you don't necessarily have to shine a light as much now that it's so obviously so many things going on. Is that good or bad? Where are we in this moment? Yeah, it, I, I can't say this is good news. I yeah. have to say that uh, it has become increasingly ominous. When we started our efforts, and this goes back 12 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, our focus, and you mentioned Title IX. Title IX is the federal law that seeks to ban sex discrimination in schools, which, of course, is a good thing. Unfortunately, Title IX has become weaponized, has become politicized, is is being turned into a tool to actually revolutionize American culture. So, yeah, so, I mean, originally our focus was only on stopping the campus kangaroo courts. Well, the kangaroo courts are still very much with us, but now we have to deal with the broader ramifications of this cockamamie idea of, hey, let's redefine the meaning of sex to include gender identity. Mm-hmm. What could possibly go wrong with that idea? Yeah. You know, uh, we're talking with Edward Bartlett, the founder of Save. Uh, and again, the website there, by the way, I don't know if I said it earlier, saveservices.org. And, <clears throat> you know, one thing that you are were ahead of the curve, as you mentioned, no, more than a decade ago, was this was sort of the, one of the original lawfare fights where you had a law, Title IX, being used by ideologues and activists in a way to just punish certain people in certain types of uh, meaning, generally conservatives, generally males, uh, right? It was a it was it's a kind of a, a real haunting example when you talk about lawfare of the lack of due process. You had these sort of you mentioned kangaroo courts, the Title IX, these Title IX investigations where the target of the investigation had no the defendants, supposedly, you know, to coin a phrase, had no real idea, had no chance to defend themselves on and on and on, really haunting and uh, and troubling. Before we get to this incident and this story that in Connecticut, is the Title IX we had under Trump more sanity? Has it reverted right back under Biden? Is there is there a sense that the the woke uh, wave has crested and is receding a bit or no? Well, um, I don't think it's receding. Honestly, I'm worried that it's getting worse. <clears throat> so 2020, there was a very good Title IX regulation Right. Out under the Trump administration. Right. And we fully supported that because it was all about restoring due process and the presumption of innocence. And then Biden was elected and he literally in the first day of office, he announced his, quote, anti-discrimination effort, which included changing the definition of sex to include gender identity. And uh, things have kind of honestly have kind of fallen apart since then. You know, I could give you so many examples, but maybe we can go to this recent Connecticut 
uh, well, and, that, and that's that, and that, yeah, that's one of the things. So again, we're talking with Edward Bartlett, and he's the founder of Save, and again, SaveServices.org. You should check out what they're doing, and and, and a lot of uh, there's a lot of information there. In this incident, okay, so it's up in Brookfield High School in Connecticut, and and the reason I think this is inter- interesting is people did something about it. They looked at it and said this is insanity, and they did it. So uh, the the, the um, a tampon dispenser was installed in the boys' bathroom. And within minutes, I think they said the installation was completed at 9.30 a.m. By 9.52, tampons were on the floor. The newly installed distribution box was ripped off the wall, along with the masonry anchors, and the distribution box itself was destroyed. So the boys had at it. Uh, I guess before, again, talk about the specifics of the insanity, but I, I do mean this, that more people are just fed up. And I'm not saying, you know, vandalism or whatever, but they're just fed up and they're willing to kind of be a little bit more public about that now than ever. I, am, I, am I misreading the energy? Well, no, you're, you're totally right on. And of course, our society has a tradition. You could call it the Boston Tea Party tradition. Right. When things get too utterly absurd and unfair and authoritarian, individual citizens take matters into their own hands and they make things right. Right. So that's exactly what happened just a few weeks ago in Brookfield High School in Connecticut. Connecticut now has this this new law that says, and I'm not exaggerating here, it says all schools must have tampon dispensers in boys' bathrooms. Woo. Yeah. Well, that, that's part of this concept of redefining sex to include gender identity. So as you just described so so aptly, uh, the, 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 the teenage boys just took matters into their own hand hands and just literally, you know, eliminated this tampon dispenser. So we're seeing positive uh, developments despite the overall, you know, concerns, especially from the Department of Education. We're seeing developments in individual states. I could highlight, for example, uh, California, you know, of all places, uh, there was uh, two teachers who were placed on administrative leave. This was in the Escondido Union School District. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were placed on administrative leave because they refused to keep uh, the the students' gender transitioning a secret from their parents. Again, I mean, imagine that point that a teacher cannot share this life-threatening or life-saving information from their parents, but they literally were not supposed to, but they refused to follow that. They were they were suspended from school. They, they filed a lawsuit, and on January the 10th, a federal judge ordered that the school reinstate the two teachers, and this happened in California. I could cite other yeah. examples. So, so, uh, so we're talking. About, we're talking again with Dr. Edward Bartlett, who's uh, been a professor um, uh, at uh, three, at least three universities, and done all this um, uh, the work. And uh, we're talking about Save and SaveServices.org. Uh, I mentioned again that the mission is to make sure, uh, as described on their website, uh, assure that every student and faculty member is afforded constitutional protections, fairness, and due process. Um, I, when I'm looking down the list of what was sent to me by your team. You know, you got Maine, Utah, uh, other states acting, California, you mentioned Alabama. Is this a situation, Dr. Bartlett, where 
we're just separating out. If you're in a red state, parental rights and your kids are going to be, in my opinion, more protected. If you're in California uh, or a blue state, you're going to have a uh, carte blanche and and in the sense that you can, you know, even even force parents to to uh, or, or or visitors to abide by the the far the farther left vision of this. Are we just sort of separating out, and or or is there overlap? And and how do you how do you feel about that part of this? Well, let, let's understand the severity of the crisis that currently faces America. We're talking about an assault on the truth. We're talking about right. an assault on the Constitution, uh, an assault on the family. All of these are under direct assault. And let us not downplay or minimize the severity of that. That said, we are seeing some very important uh, good positive developments. I, you know, we've talked about Connecticut, California. There, there's been others. Uh, Ohio is another example where they, in, in December, the legislature passed a law banning uh, biological males in women's sports. Uh, and the Republican governor of Ohio uh, vetoed that bill, believe mm. it or not. Yeah. So right. early yep. January. Um, the, the two oh, oh, oh. houses in the in, in Ohio overturned the veto. Yeah, yeah. So now, that law is now in effect in the state of Ohio. So we are seeing a definite groundswell saying this is just this has gone beyond yeah. crazy. Well, we and yeah, and I think one of the benefits of having somebody like you who's coming out of the uh, academia and uh, the academy is to be able to uh, tell people, hey, it's not a blue or red state thing. And more and more parents, I think, are feeling that. Unfortunately, um, it's a real thing. I got a, a deadline. I got a, 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 a break coming up that I've got to go. So thank you, uh, Dr. Edward Bartlett. Again, I'll put up on social media links to this uh, on the site, saveservices.org, uh, some of what we just described in detail and we'll take a break and be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly now the president of phyllis schlafly eagles ed martin At the Women's White Collar Defense Association dinner late last year, federal judge Beryl Howell was quick to take shots at Donald Trump after receiving a champion award from the association. Comments Howell made reveal a shocking level of political bias by someone whose job requires her to be strictly nonpartisan. When U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg made partisan comments about Donald Trump in 2016, even the New York Times called her out in an editorial entitled Donald Trump is right about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Trump had said, I think it's highly inappropriate that a U.S. Supreme Court judge gets involved in a political campaign. Frankly, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Judge Howell's comments were particularly objectionable because her court was presiding over ongoing cases against Donald Trump and hundreds of people who rallied to support him on January 6, 2021. Another Obama appointee, Judge Tanya Chutkin, continued to preside over Jack Smith's prosecution of Trump despite making a string of biased comments in her courtroom. Chutkin had overseen convictions of more than 30 defendants in cases related to the January 6th rally and had not acquitted a single one of them. According to the Washington Post, Chutkin had been the harshest sentencing judge, ordering at least some jail or prison time in all cases 
while sometimes exceeding the cruel sentences that were demanded by the prosecutors. Judge Chutkin is the one who issued a 48-page diatribe against defendant Donald Trump. The Jamaican-born federal judge, Judge Chutkin, has made strained analogies while imposing tyranny from the bench in her courtroom. This same tendency of judicial tyranny reared its ugly head only a couple days before Christmas. The Colorado State Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump was ineligible for the presidency because he supposedly attempted an insurrection on January 6, 2021. The Colorado Supreme Court then decided that they could disqualify him under the 14th Amendment. This is a political attack, and it must be stopped as unjust and un-American judicial tyranny. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height jumping into the booth real quick here to fill out the show for Mr. Ed Martin. He had to dash uh, onto another meeting, but uh, I had something I wanted to wrap up with today, and I am allowed to do that. I'm able to, and I'm here with you to finish it up. So uh, thank you for being with us today for a great show. It's a good time. A couple of great guests there. And uh, as always, you can go over to both ProAmericaReport.com. That is Ed's Substack. You'll see what he's writing there, a lot of the different things going on. Subscribe to that so you can keep keep track of it. And also go to phyllisschlafly.com. There you can subscribe to the daily wink email that'll hit your inbox every morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time, uh, 7 a.m. Central, all the other time zones concurrently. And I guarantee you will not be sorry. That's also at phyllisschlafly.com where you can find all the podcasts, standalone guests, the notes and links and resources from each of these shows. There's a lot of good stuff over there. Head on over uh, and definitely go find it, bookmark it, and sign up for the email lists so you can keep track and send it to some friends and family uh, and, and get some good conversations going. And that uh, is a little bit of what I wanted to talk about here in the wrap-up. Um, I just had a good conversation today with our friends over at Liberty Sentinel, uh, Alex Newman and uh, the folks there. I know that's probably a name familiar to some of you who's been on the show. We do a lot with him at the Phil Schlafly World if you're over on that side of the equation. Uh, but they talk quite a bit about uh, our worldview, the Christian heritage in America, the basic worldview, traditional values and morals, uh, what America used to be and still can be again, and how it intertwines into politics and culture. They're, they're in the same uh, vein as a lot of the things that we are doing here at the Pro-America Report. But we had a good conversation today about the very interesting topic of Christians in civic engagement, Christians who vote or don't vote, Christians who are involved in politics or not. And this gets to be a really interesting and dicey topic. But there's a there's an upcoming uh, documentary film that I wanted to put your attention to. Uh, obviously, we we are big fans of people who speak the truth around here. The Epic Times is, of course, one of our favorite news sources. In fact, one of the only real news sources left. Uh, the Epic Times they always do a wonderful job. But more than just report on news and headlines, 
what the Epic Times does an incredible job of is digging in to a topic, actually exploring the themes, the philosophy, the, the, the faith, the whatever are the values that underline an issue. And they go back, they have a great historical perspective, a great a forward-looking perspective in light of all of the things. They, they never are one that can be said is lacking context. That's for sure. But they've got a really cool film adaptation uh, premiering on February 8th. Eric Metaxas, a great conservative uh, thinker and speaker, uh, radio host, all kinds of stuff. He is one of our favorite authors around here. He wrote a book uh, very recently. I think it was actually, was it last year that it came out? Um, the uh, A Letter to the American Church. And that is being turned into a documentary. It premieres February 8th. Uh, in the evening on Epic TV, I would encourage you to look it up. I'll put a link to it in the uh, show, but uh, in the show notes. But Eric Metaxas, uh, in this book, and then of course in this this accompanying documentary, the adaptation, uh, he is basically encouraging uh, through a historical look uh, for Christians to be modern day. Bonhoeffers. Now, that is a reference to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and that was a very, very compelling story. Uh, a man who bravely, uh, boldly spoke up in 1933, in the 1930s, I think, early 30s, warning the German church about the looming uh, crisis that was coming under the Nazi regime as they were rising to power and encouraging the church to speak up and speak out. And there is a really neat history there, but there are some very, very dark and terrifying parallels between his story and ours now, between what we are seeing here in America and what we have seen throughout history under tyrannical regimes at their rise. And there is a pivotal uh, a pivotal part of that story, and it is the church, the church and its people, whether that will be active or whether it will be apathetic and ignore the political situation around them. Now, I, I for one, am a firm believer that civic engagement, political engagement is what I would call a stewardship responsibility for Christians. I think Ed agrees with me. Uh, a lot of us around the Phyllis Schlafly world do. That is absolutely true. But there are a lot of folks in America who do not uh, believe that. And I think that that's a real conversation we need to have because I, it was just looking at this. The numbers get worse and worse and worse every time. Uh, My Faith Votes is a really neat organization. Head over to myfaithvotes.org. Again, I'll drop the link in there. They are one of the premier fo- uh, places that talks about uh, this this problem that one in three Christians does not consistently vote. And yet, you know, if, if we are the ones who have the truth, the right answer, all of these things, these principles that are not only scriptural to those of us who who follow the faith, but just timeless. When you look across the history of the world, why would we not be the ones moving forward and, and leading with this worldview, this return to uh, basic morality, respect for life and property and liberty, these things upon which America was founded? Why would these other two thirds of Christians not get involved? It's a big deal. It's something that we need to understand. And I think that it's something incredibly important. So there's an estimated 25 million Americans, 25, I'm sorry, 25 million Christians who do not vote in presidential elections. And this is old news. This grows all the time. But this is a couple years old. 25 million Christians that don't vote in presidential elections, 65 million Christians that don't participate in their local elections, 15 million aren't even registered voters. And it's absolutely mind boggling to me that this huge section of of the nation that understands the founding principles of America, just inherently, if you're a, a, a you know a Bible believing Christian that goes to church, 
don't get out and vote and participate. It is incredibly important. So this documentary, this this work from Eric Metaxas, A Letter to the American Church, coming out in documentary form from Epic next week, addresses that. I think it's something we should all watch. We should latch on to it. We should send it to some friends and family because you and I both know people who have the right values to lead this country forward in the right and better direction than we're going now who just aren't participating. We got to turn that around. We have got to change it. So there's my little wrap up, my plea today, maybe a what you need to do. Go and watch this. Send it to a friend. That's what we got to do. Uh, but that's all the time I've got. We got to end here the program today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you to our great guests, to Mason, my co-producer, and to Ed for leading the show. Grateful for all of you, especially, that listen and make the Pro-America Report what it is. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisLafley.com, get all the podcasts, all of the line, uh, standalone segments, and we will look forward to talking to you back here tomorrow on another edition of the Pro-America Report. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.